be quite the party animal. And so think about this with me for a second. Let's take a group of believers who are brand new in the Lord. They've just come to faith in Christ. They've just heard this good news within the last year to a year and a half for the first time. And they've said to themselves, I want Jesus. I want to follow after him. I want to know his ways. I want to worship him. I want to believe that he holds my future and my destiny in his hands, that he's offering me a place in heaven if I will believe in him and follow after him. And they want to dedicate themselves to Jesus, but they're planted and they live within the city of Corinth itself with all of this immorality swirling around them. And it's just the, the cultural practices that were so acceptable in their days. And so there they are finding themselves in the middle of it. When you get that, you just start to understand the things that Paul will have to write to this church about the temptations and the trials and the difficulties and the carnality within the believers of the city of Corinth and the stuff that he's going to have to talk to them about. That temptation to compromise and conform to the world's ways was just enormous and it was constant on a daily basis. And if you don't mind, I'll just say this. I don't think it's unlike what Christians in America experience now, especially if you're under the age of 30. The temptation to conform and compromise to the world's ways is off the charts now. It's becoming very difficult in America to be a Christian and to really follow after Jesus with all the things that are just offered to us on a constant and a daily basis. So after Paul leaves Ephesus, or when he arrives in Ephesus, he starts to get word that there's some problems in Corinth. Apparently there's no established leadership. The church really doesn't have a shepherd of its own. It has not developed its own hierarchy when it comes to what you would consider to be the leadership of the church. And some of the things that Paul hears are taking place within the believers at Corinth are kind of disturbing to him. It bothers him to hear the carnality that the church is expressing and giving themselves to. And so he writes back to the church to answer questions, to confront them about some of the things that he's hearing about, to bring correction to them, and to point them to the headship of Jesus Christ. And so, if you remember with me, when we studied the book of Philippians, Paul was hearing that there was a fight in the Philippian church going on between two women, Euodia and Suntuke. And it was disturbing the unity of the church. What you're going to discover from the church of Corinth is that everybody was fighting with everybody. You want to talk about a lack of unity. This was a situation, you'll hear this in a week or so, where people were aligning themselves with certain teachers, certain ministers, oh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of so-and-so, and everybody was just fighting about everything, and carnality was just running rampant. And so Paul writes this letter to correct a bunch of misunderstood doctrine, and he will forbid people from sectarianism, which means aligning with somebody other than Christ himself. So, let's take a look at the opening verses of Paul's letter to the church at Las Vegas. Verse 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Let me make another comparison this morning as we go into this very first verse. And I want to remind you, when we study the book of Philippians, when Paul laid out an introduction, he was saying, hey, this is Paul writing to you. Timothy is with me. 
Paul said, we are bondservants. And when Paul said these things, what he was meaning to this church was, hey, we stand ready to serve your needs. We stand ready to minister to you. We stand ready to give everything so that you can know Christ and grow in Christ. And it was the defining relationship that Paul had with the church of Philippi. He served the church, the church served him. It was a beautiful relationship. Here you don't find that word being used. Paul doesn't say, to the church at Corinth, this is Paul, the bondservant. He says, I'm the apostle by the will of Jesus Christ. I've been sent by him, Paul says. And we might ask the question, why the change? Why the specific change of direction in the introduction from Philippi to the city of Corinth? And I think there's a strong reason for this. And this is most likely it. In Philippi, we had that mutual serving relationship. But in Corinth, there's a huge amount of objection to the leadership that Paul displays. This was a church that would have listened to Paul as he claimed authority in in his relationship with Christ, that he was sent by Jesus to minister in his name, that this church is the kind of church with its immaturity that would have said, nah, you can't be that guy. Or they would have said, who do you think you are? We're going to do things the way that we want to do things. Anybody else, maybe when you were younger, let's just hopefully we'll answer this way, when we were younger, had a little problem with authority. Still do. do. That would be Brian. And all of us are going to say, we know. (laughs) Because the church of Corinth didn't respect Paul and his leadership and his authority, they gave him little respect. Here's the problem. If you're writing to a church that needs correction and the church doesn't respect you, they're not going to listen to the correction. They will refuse to grow in their relationship with Christ. They will refuse to address their carnality, their misbeliefs, their misunderstandings, and things like that. They will look at a letter like this and say, yeah, well, put it in the file, the round one. And they won't be interested in something like this. And so, man, when I got to this point, I, I really found myself relating to the church of Corinth in, a, in an unhealthy way because I remember back in the days when I was much younger, authority to me was like, and I would do the same thing in my heart and my mind on a constant basis. Who do you think you are? You know where it came from? That rebellion, that refusal to recognize good authorities? It was Pink Floyd. <laughs> they taught me They taught me that teachers were just another brick in the wall. And that the best thing for them to do was to leave them kids alone. What I didn't understand back then was that God chooses authorities for his purposes. He has his reasons. When we go against authorities, it's as if to God that we are going against he, God himself. So the Corinthian church need to understand this. And this is what Paul is now establishing. He's not saying to them, I'm a bondservant. He's saying to them, I'm the authority. I'm the apostle. And he could rightfully say this. He could share with them again, which I'm sure he already has. I met Christ on the road to Damascus. 
He sent me out to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit has put me into ministry. He has made it possible for me to come and to share this good news with you guys. And so you now hear him in verse 1, reestablishing what he can rightfully claim to the Corinthian church. I'm a leader according to Christ. I want you to listen to everything I have to say as I bring correction to you about the things that you are misunderstanding or that you're struggling with. And if they can gather themselves together and understand that Paul does have ecclesiastical authority, then maybe the Lord can get through to them. Sosthenes is mentioned here. He's with Paul at this time. Most likely he is the same man who Paul met in the city of Corinth in Acts chapter 18. It's just a short story of what takes place there. So here's what happened. In the city of Corinth, after a while with Paul preaching this good news of Jesus Christ and that he is uh, the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the Messiah, uh, the, the members of the synagogue rose up together and they started to accuse Paul of breaking their religious laws. Problem is that they made the accusation to their Greek government. And so when things start to happen, when the trial starts up, the Greeks decide, we don't care about your Jewish religious laws. That's, that's not who we are and what we're about. We don't have authority over your stuff. So they take Sosthenes, who was likely the steward of the synagogue at that time, and the Greek authorities just beat him. And they toss him out. And it appears that sometime after this, Sosthenes gets saved. He believes on Jesus. He gets booted out of the synagogue and he goes with Paul to find out more about Christ. And as he goes with Paul and gets to review or preview this letter, he's going to learn a lot about the kingdom. Verse 2. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And so it's a standard practice back in these days. You'll see it with a lot of Paul's letters, is that he will simply identify who he's writing to and who is the author of this letter. And this is interesting here because Paul starts off and he says, to the church of God which is at Corinth. And I love this. I think it is hilarious when you reach this point because... When Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he was so warm and fuzzy. So much sentiment that he poured out. Repeatedly saying to the church of Philippi, I long to be with you guys. What does Paul say to the church of Corinth? You exist. I recognize that you're there. (laughs) But here's something that, uh, that comes with this. We notice that when Paul writes this, when he addresses this to the church of God, which is at Corinth, he's sending it to the entire church. This is not just to the pastor. This is not just to the elders of the church. This goes out to the whole church. This letter is going to be full of correction. It's going to be full of rebuke that Paul offers to this church. And it's meant to be read aloud in front of the entire church so that all hear Following this are two very carefully chosen means to address a church that is struggling and probably drowning with compromise, looking to comply with the world's ways. So one of the things that Paul carefully crafted in this address, he says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful piece of sentiment. Paul wrote to a church... If you were to ask me, 
Does the church of Corinth deserve a title like this? I might say, let me think about that for a minute. Because you know, if if Paul would have said in in verse number two, to the losers of Loserville, we would have probably said, yeah, they kind of deserve that. I mean, you know, they're compromising with the world's ways. They won't give Paul any respect. They don't recognize him as being the true shepherd that God called him to be, or that he has something valuable to say when it comes to correction. I think they're probably one of the most hypocritical churches that Paul ever experienced in his journeys. I mean, think about this. When Paul went to Athens and he preached the resurrection of Christ, they did not believe and they mocked him and they mocked the resurrection. When Paul goes to Corinth, he does believe, or they do believe in Christ, and they still mock Paul. They still refuse to see his authority. Huge difference there. So really, if Paul had the right to say some really difficult things to this church, to address them right at the beginning and say, you know, I'm going to write this letter, but I really didn't want to. I really feel like it's almost a waste of paper to send this to you guys. Because I don't think you're going to listen to this. You know, and I'm going to the effort, and, and I hope you'll send me a few bucks. Because you really should because of what I'm doing for you guys, but I really don't think it's going to do any good. But instead of giving, what, giving them what they deserved, you find Paul telling them, first and foremost in his address, that you guys are sanctified in Christ. What that means is, the people that are receiving this letter in the Lord's church, Paul is saying, you're set apart for Jesus' purposes. And I know that he carefully chose these words because the people in Corinth would look around at their culture and their city and they would say, we recognize that there's a thousand people in our city that are set apart for sexual purposes for Aphrodite. And Paul says to them, you're not so. You're set apart for the purposes that Jesus has on earth. You're meant for the kingdom. You're different. You're not a part of that. You're set apart. You've been made holy. You're not like the rest of the world. Don't compromise and don't comply with the things that the world is drawing you into. And I think it's a striking reminder to this church. You know, I almost picture them, if you will just kind of visualize with me for a moment, the sexual immorality in that city being like a pool in the churches is at its last breath just holding on before it's about to go under and Paul is saying to them you're not even in the pool any longer you've been pulled out of it you've been rescued in your relationship with Christ you don't have to swim there anymore and listen church in the same way the environment around us that is collapsing right now I'm not talking about the natural environment. I'm talking about the spiritual environment of our country that is collapsing in this moment. Doesn't have to pull you in. It doesn't have to drown you. The result of your sanctification, this is what Paul is telling this church, is that you can go into that dark place and you can hold your light firmly and you can change the rest of the world because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. His victory is greater than any battle that you'll get yourself into or that you'll find yourself in. This is what Paul is telling this church. 
Let's just remember for a moment. Jonah, Old Testament. Everybody thinks of him inside of the fish, right? You know, one of the greater things that you would discover is that when Jonah finally went to the city of Nineveh, it's described as probably a city of 150,000 Assyrians who were just steeped in their idolatry and their wicked ways. They were the most evil civilization that you would find on the face of the earth. When Jonah goes in there, he's the only Jewish person inside of the city. He's the only one preaching repentance inside of that city. He's alone. He's sanctified. That's a huge illustration of what sanctification really looks like. That if he has to stand alone inside of that city and preach repentance, preach the forgiveness of sins in God, that he would do it. And what happened? Everybody got saved. That's the picture of who you are. Your relationship, that you're sanctified in Christ. And if you have to stand alone in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, and you're the only one carrying light, then do it. Because you're set apart. Second thing that Paul calls his church, a very craft, uh, carefully crafted term that he uses for them was called saints. Go back to verse 2 with me and look at it real close just for a second. Your Bible probably says called to be saints. And those two words to be are probably in italics, aren't they? And the reason is, is because somebody added them later. What Paul actually said to this church was, you're called saints. You're called now. Not sometime in the future. If you guys could get it together, then you could be called saints. If you would just accept leadership within your church and listen to my words, then you could be called saints. If you could deal with the sin in your church, then you could finally be called saints. Paul says no. He's urging them to live up to the status that they have now. And I think this is so interesting. And I know that Paul chose these words carefully because a little bit ago we talked about the fact that the entire world had created a nickname to describe the party animals of Corinth. That nickname was Corinthia Zomai. The world was talking about them in those terms. Oh, you guys, who? You're from Corinth? Oh, we know what you stand for. You're the party animals of the world. Paul chose these words very carefully for this church to tell them, that's not what God calls you. That's not what I call you. He's saying to them, I call you saints. You're called now a saint. Listen. Sometimes Christians have a hard time accepting this position that we're a saint. We look at our exterior performance for the Lord. We see some things that don't match up to how saints should be living. And so we tell ourselves, I, I just don't think I am that. I don't really fit in. I mean, I, I know what the title means. But my life just doesn't look like it in the way that I should expect a saint to really be living. And so we live under the means that Jesus has established for us. And when we do that, oftentimes when we struggle with this idea that God calls us saints and he's established us as saints and we're not living up to it, sometimes the risk is that we will start to give up a little bit. Say, I just, I just can't do it. You ever look at somebody else's life who's a Christian who's really on fire for the Lord and you think I'm not like that 
You get a little discouraged. Sometimes you arrive at this point where you say, I just, I don't even know if I can try anymore. If I can't meet that standard, why try? And you know what happens when we reach that point? Then the risk of compromise and the risk of complying with the world's ways starts to set in. Listen, I just want to remind you this morning, when you called upon the name of Jesus, when you took him in as your Savior, when you took your entire life and presented it to him and said, you gave yours for me, I'm giving you my life. I want you to rule over me. I'm going to follow you as my master. That he called you a saint. And nobody takes that away. Do you remember what Jesus had to say about that and his sheep? No one can snatch them out of my, my hand or my fold or my sheep pen. Nobody takes them away. Once I call them saint, they're mine. And he preserves us till the day that we see him face to face. Let me just close with verse 3 this morning. I'm going to use this as a blessing to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in verse 2, Paul makes this interesting statement. It's not easy to figure out. He refers to the Lord Jesus, who he calls our Lord and your Lord. And what he's reminding the Corinthian church of is that we are one. You're fighting against me. You see yourself separate. You don't want to identify with me. You don't want to think of me as your pastor. You don't want to see my leadership and give me any kind of a respect for this at all. But he's reminding the Corinthian church, we have the same Lord. And he was talking about unity. He was fostering that seed that he had planted in the Corinthian church of unity under the headship of Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to celebrate communion. And this is another reminder to us of those two words that are put together, common union under the headship of Christ. This is the time when we remind ourselves and we celebrate that Jesus drank the cup of wrath so that we could drink of the cup of mercy. Victor, would you come up and lead us, please? Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this time in the Bible helps you see the love God has for you and stirs a desire in you to develop a close relationship with Him. You can help us spread the good news by sharing this podcast and by dropping a review for us. Finally, if you're in the Camp Verde, Arizona area, we invite you to join us in person. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 and 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. We're located at 514 Main Street in Camp Verde. Or you can watch us on Facebook or YouTube and visit us at calvarychapelcv.com. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all.